Welcome to Blackbird episode number 19. My name is James, and today I am thrilled to be joined by Michael Rechtenwald. If you're familiar with Libertarian Podcasts, you have undoubtedly heard Michael's story. Um, so we might get into that a little bit. Um, but I wanted to talk more with Michael about some of his scholarship and popular writing, especially surrounding the Google archipelago and the current state of sort of mass surveillance and cancel culture and that sort of thing. Um, it reminded me a little bit of Foucault, uh, the postmodernist philosopher. Um, so I wanted to pick his brain about that as well, because he is a scholar of postmodernism, although unlike Thad Russell, who was on a previous episode of the show, he is not a proponent of that particular train of thought. So I thought it would be a very interesting conversation, and I think that you will enjoy it as well. Before we get started with Michael, let me tell you once again about BU Enterprises. BU Enterprises, of course, is run by Juliet Nail, a friend of the show, a friend of the movement. Um, she is a yoga instructor who will help you get back into an integral relationship with your own body. Through yoga and breathing and mindfulness techniques, Juliet can help you on the road to wellness. Whether you're an individual interested in one-on-one -on -one training or you are a business owner or a team manager interested in offering a wellness benefit for your employees, Juliet would be the perfect addition to you and and your team's lives. So head over to buenterprises.com to get in touch with Juliet. She'll be thrilled to hear from you. And with that, here is my interview with Michael Rechtenwald. Michael, thanks for joining me today. Yes, thanks for having me. Yeah, sure thing. Um, so I wanted to have you on to talk about the Google, Google archipelago and censorship and all that stuff and just sort of um, talk about what, what you think's going on and what's still to come. Um, being that this is the first time you've been on this show, uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself for the audience? Okay. Yeah. Michael Rechtenwald and, uh, I'm a writer and, uh, former NYU professor, uh, but, uh, taught in many other institutions. Uh, right now I'm writing for the Mises Institute and several other outlets, uh, giving talks, uh, different universities and other settings, uh, and uh, basically uh, predicted everything that's happening <laughs> right now in Google Archipelago. Uh, basically, in that book, I argued that the the big tech represented kind of like the leading edge and uh, ideological communications apparatus of the uh, corporate socialist agenda that's being foisted on us. Uh, and when I say corporate socialism, I don't refer to Bernie Sanders' definition right. of corporate welfare. I'm talking about corporate-run socialism and uh, in connection with the state, uh, corporate state-run socialism. So I predicted that in Google Archipelago, and I think it's coming to pass as we speak. That's certainly something that we've talked about on this show before with uh, Vin Armani, especially. Um, he's got this cyclical view of history that actually he's derived it from someone else and he's going to he's going to have a book coming out pretty soon. And I'll probably have him back on to talk about that. Um, but this uh, this idea that we're shifting from a politician class to a corporate class as our sort of overlords. And it's I mean, it's really been going on since the progressive era. We're just seeing it now come to a head. Do you agree with that? 
Yeah, I think uh, it's a shift to, yeah, there's this corporate class is kind of running uh, what I call their governmentalities. They are, they are now virtually the state. Um, so I have a issue with libertarianism about this because, you know, the state is the evil, but what, if, what is the state? That's the big question. And to my way of thinking, this state is whatever performs state functions. And uh, these corporate oligarchs are performing state functions. What uh, what do you see as the state functions that they're performing? I mean, they're not sending troops overseas to war or raising well, police forces, but they're they're conducting on uh, nonstop propaganda. Uh, they are uh, they are controlling speech, and uh, they are going to be further involved in controlling self-determination movement of people. Uh, their ability to do anything will be uh, will be basically filtered through these corporate players. Like in California, they recently released a video in which they show that Microsoft is going to be determining effectively whether students can go back to school. There'll be the way Microsoft will run this kind of uh, vaccine certificate program that will uh, basically give clearance or not to students to return to school. These are the kind of functions that the state that these corporations are undertaking, uh, state functions in effect. Um, censorship's not supposed to be a function of the state in the United States, but it's been the function of states, of authoritarian states in history. And so they're performing the functions that authoritarian states have performed in the past. Right. And uh, uh, even on a grander scale, just regulating the public square, um, so to oh. speak, it's, you know, we're not, we're not meeting in agoras and shouting from street corners because that looks crazy. What we're doing is tweeting. Right. Um, and publishing on Google's uh, w within Google's algorithms and on Facebook and things like that. Right. They basically are the public square. And you, you said that, you said it right outside of the digital realm it's meaningless to expression is virtually meaningless uh, or in, uh, inefficacious it has no effect yeah. uh so uh they have yeah they're they've cordoned off the public square and are in complete control of it so the, the, they are determining what's sayable and what's not well so and even saying, even in the political realm now um, you know, I mean, if the wrong person, as we've seen the last several years, if the wrong person is gaining influence um, politically, then all it takes is a, you know, a, a concentrated effort against that person to turn the world against them. To disappear them. Yeah. Um, you're, so you're, you're, you are very familiar with the work of Foucault. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, yes. I, the reason that I even emailed you was because I had this notion that we are headed for what I called a free range panopticon. Mm -hmm. um, can you, can you kind of describe what the panopticon is? Um, I know that mm -hmm. Foucault didn't obviously uh, originate that idea. It was, you know, a, a 19th century sociologist. Yeah, so it was Jer Jer Jeremy Bentham's, uh, yeah. Jeremy Bentham's, uh, architectural model was uh, the, the panopticon and Foucault coined the term panopticism 
Okay. Uh, panop- the Panopticon is a, well, the architectural model is like a circular building with a central tower uh, from which uh, the uh, observer can see the prisoners, uh, but the, uh, the prisoners cannot see the observer uh, or the guard. And uh, they likewise, the, the prisoners not knowing whether they're under surveillance or not effectively internalize surveillance. They become their own, the means as Foucault put it, they become the means of their own subjection. Uh, it's a panopticism is a, an all seeingness, you know, uh, a, a, a seeing of everything, a total surveillance system. And you know, we're headed towards that with reference to the smart city models that are being rolled out that will be rolled out throughout the West based on what China's done with their 50 smart cities and their total surveillance state. But that's also not just part of the smart cities, also with uh, social media. Uh, basically, the whole internet is going to be a, a panopticon. So while now, as I said in Google Archipelago, well, now we go on the internet in the future, we will be in the internet. The internet will be ubiquitous and uh, it will be everywhere and we'll be inside of it as, as a fact, in effect, will be artifacts within the internet and de- data that can be tracked in the internet as such. So the internet of things will eventually become the internet of people. Yes, the internet, we are one of the, th- we are, of, we, um, we number among the things that will right. be on the internet of things. Well, and like uh, you always hear, you know, if, uh, if, if it's free, then you're the product. And so mm-hmm. I, I, I <clears throat> excuse me, I assume that Facebook and Google just see us as commodities rather than as individual. I think we're more than commodities. That's part of it. But we're also subjects mm. uh, to be disciplined and to be controlled because part of this corporate model, this corporate socialist model is not strictly to make money, but also to have governing powers over the subjects. And this is what they're undertaking. Um, Can you talk a little bit about smart cities? Uh, I'm not sure that the audience is super familiar with what they are. Yeah, I mean, smart cities are these, uh, you know, these ambient surveillance cities in which every move you make is track, trace, visualized, picked up through LED and other scanners so that your every move is known uh, and uh, they track you through your devices effectively uh, connected to your handheld device or whatever, maybe soon an implant is connected to the ambient uh, Wi-Fi uh, environment which in which you move so that everything is known and every every move you make is tracked and traced. Furthermore, um, your movement is circumscribed uh, by virtue uh, of your credit, credit social credit score. Uh, so the social credit score is a kind of passport that allows you certain movement. Uh, and it's, circ- it's, it's circumscribed dependent upon the person's social credit score rating. And uh, this could be imported into the West vis-a-vis medical passports or uh, vaccine uh, passports, if you will. And those will be uh, used, uh, they'll probably be digital and they'll be used to to determine just what kind of movements you can make uh, 
what you're allowed to do. Uh, so that instead of having to show a passport to enter a building, you, you could, uh, alarms could go off if you try to enter a building if you're not uh, permitted vis-a-vis -vis your um, medical passport. So uh, the social credits uh, score system is part of the smart city. Of course, it depends on 5G. Uh, and 5G gives it the capability of monitoring and tracking all this data. Uh, and your piece of data in the in the internet and uh, or the cloud, and uh, that's effectively how it works. Is it being sold as a green initiative, or is it more about public safety and health and all of the? Yeah, they'll they'll, they'll they're uh, they're gonna they're selling it on the basis of uh, uh, what they're talking about is like um, sustainable. Uh, Uh, but also more livable space, city space, mm. so that it controls traffic flows. It, since it'll know where cars are and all that, every piece, every everything is a piece of data on the internet. Uh, it will be able to make a smart city living, which means like uh, the city itself is intelligent, and so it allows for more efficient. Uh, more uh, supposedly pleasurable uh, uh, habitation. Uh, so, you know, you'll talk. You'll hear them talk about traffic flows, parking, uh, you know, congestion of any kind of people and spaces, and it, it'll direct people away from certain, you know, uh, uh, bottlenecks and things like that, and uh, also determine uh, water flow and. Uh, uh, other resource uh, flows so that everything is uh, regulated in effect through this smart by this through this smart city. I'm looking at a uh, at Google or Alphabet, I guess Google's parent company. They've got a they've got a separate company called Sidewalk Labs, and, mm -hmm. and it's got it's got all of these all of these devices and and mechanisms to to bring this about. And there's one called Pebble, which they point out is a privacy preserving vehicle sensor that enables better parking and curbside management. Um, exactly. And the, the fact that they point out that it's privacy preserving tells me that yeah. it is anything but. Um, right. What that means is if when they use the term privacy, it means they already have the data. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what, where do we go? What, what's the solution for people who want to maybe not, maybe not resist, but just not be part of it? Or should we, should we be trying to resist it? That's a good question. Uh, I just, engaged in this debate yesterday with a piece I put out on the Mises Institute about whether we should, you know, whether people should retreat and set up sort of enclaves that are separate from all this or whether they should stay and fight. Uh, and I argue that we can't leave the nation or the world as a virtual concentration camp for the rest. Mm. I think that's a, um, it's a very monastic impulse to go and resist it and by, or to retreat and to sort of form these libertarian, if you will, enclaves that are separate and parallel to the system and that are independent of it. We may not be able to, first of all, it may not be possible, 
especially if digital currency is instituted, it could be impossible to buy anything unless you're in the system and unless the purveyor of the good is also approved uh, and uh, whether you are approved to buy it. And uh, the black market could be closed down and effectively if, the, if we get into a cashless society, uh, this is a way of determining everything you're doing on uh, commercially. So it, it becomes difficult to escape. Uh, so this idea of escaping it, I think, is, uh, is not really the option. Uh, the option is to, uh, to circum not circumvent, but to derail it, to, uh, to undermine it, to resist it, and hmm. to uh, continue to uh, point to what it's up to. First of all, a lot of this is happening surreptitiously and uh so it's important to keep appraised of what exactly is going on what's afoot and then to uh, apply pressure at those various points in order to uh uh diffuse what's happening so kind of a mix between agorism and uh what maybe just trying to win over hearts and minds that's part of it Sure. Uh, knowledge is, is important, uh, dissemination of knowledge. And uh, of course, this is risky uh, yeah. because you could be, first of all, targeted, but moreover, or I should say initially, you're, you're discredited. So, you know, you'll be called every name in the book, so from conspiracy theorists to white supremacists or both. Uh, because Not to mention wanting to kill grandma. Yeah, that's right. Wanting to kill grandma. And anything that you say that isn't in line with the agenda uh, is going to be ridiculed and scru you know, scrutinized and ridiculed. And uh, this is one of the tactics to affect the order that's being imposed. Um, so are you familiar with freedom cells, the... Uh movement yeah. that's sort of emerging right now. What yeah, do you think about that? Tell me more. Sure. Well, so Freedom me. Cells is, uh, it's sort of an agorist movement. Um, not explicitly so. Maybe it is actually explicitly agorist, um, where groups of liberty-minded folks within a geographic area collaborate in engaging in black and gray market activities, um, mm -hmm. helping one another through like mutual aid um, and just trying to separate from the state as much as possible. Uh, and yeah. that, that according to now agorists and, you know, traditional anarcho-capitalists might differ on um, whether Google and Facebook and so forth constitute the state at this point. Um, yes. I think agorists fall more on your side uh, than on, say, Ayn Rand's side. But mm -hmm. uh, I think probably if Rand were still around, she would probably be uh, hopefully wise enough to, <laughs> to, see, uh, to yeah. see where we're coming from at the very least. Right. So it's not a John Galt movement exactly. It's a, Right. Yeah, I agree with that. That's exactly the kind of thing I recommend in, uh, well, vis-a-vis -vis fiction in Thought Criminal. And I call them networks of thought deviationists. And uh, these networks are a way of communicating and supporting each other 
and you know their transactions are encrypted and uh, they have developed in, you know really solid uh, encryption and other methods to uh, avoid detection and uh, to avoid connection in this case to the collective mind as i call it which is this vast database and processing system that's effectively the combination of all the clouds and in the world into a singular cloud but that's the novel but i think the novel is kind of a blueprint for how to do this to how to you know not not how to do it but what to do and i think that those freedom cells are the right idea definitely that's awesome. I, I I forgot that you had written a novel. It was just published uh, a couple of months ago in December. I'll make sure to link to that. Um, yeah. And basically, it's about a about an AI neuroscientist, which our sci-fi fans will probably love. Um, yeah. Speaking of your books, talk a little bit about the Google Archipelago beyond what we've already discussed. Um, what's sort of the thesis of that? How did you know that this was coming? I don't know. I. Uh... I just had a sense of how the patterns were forming. And so I had the thesis is basically that the system under under construction is corporate socialism. And uh, okay, so I'll, I'll tell you how I got to it. One, one of the things I study is ideology. And what I was trying to figure out is why are corporations, especially these big tech corporations, why are they promulgating socialist ideology? What is the function of that? I tried to figure it out. Like, I, I don't buy that it's just that the, all the people that work there were indoctrinated in schools and so on and so forth that, that taught them socialism and socialist ideology. I think it works in their favor. And, and then I tried to figure out how would it work? And then, then I figured, then I thought, well, it would work if you were trying to create a two-tiered system where you have so actually existing socialism on the ground and corporate oligarchs in charge, uh, and everything about their ideology and everything about their actions uh, really corresponds to this. And so I, I developed this thesis that the Google Archipelago or the big digital as i call them that's the big digital tech producers are in effect a leading edge and communications ideological communications apparatus and disciplinary mechanism uh, for establishing this corporate socialist model and uh, that's what the book goes into it treats things like so, you know, censorship and uh, the differential treatment of particular political viewpoints and the promotion of woke ideology and all that. But it ties it into a broader theme, which has to do with this corporate socialist model. And I, um, so that's really where it goes. So have you started to um, separate yourself from these social media companies and Google and the, and the like, or are you still tweeting and Facebooking like a... Uh... Um, well, Facebook has me banned for now. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, what was your offense? My mom got my mom got banned for questioning the, the election because she's a super Trumpy. So uh, um... I got banned for criticizing, calling a socialist a socialist. It was called hate speech. Oh, goodness. So... This was an avowed socialist, and I said, "Well, that's because you're a socialist. That's why, and that that did it." 
Wow. Uh, I can't get any traction on Twitter. I have, I don't know what's going on there. I, I don't have as many followers as I should have. And I really, I can't get any traction there. So I, I don't, I tweet, but it's, I don't have high expectations for anything. Uh, I'm still on Facebook, except on a band for, I think, 30 days. And uh, I, I think what I, my position there philosophically and uh, methodologically is to, to try to retain whatever beachheads we can and not abdicate territory until we're, you know, we're, we're thrown off of them. Um, but on the other hand, I recognize the surveillance that's going on on those sites. So uh, I pick, I'm out there anyway, so I don't think there's anything hidden. Uh, there's nothing about my views that are, uh, you know, at all uh, clandestine. I, I think it's all quite out there, so I don't try to hide anything. And what I do avoid is pure partisan stuff because that's what they look at first, like with your mother. Um, support of Trump and so, you know, overt, what I'm doing is opposing their agenda and the leftism in general. So that is harder for their algorithms and people to pick up, I think. I have been fond of saying it's our enemy, the state, not our enemy, the left. Do you think that that's an accurate statement or have they just become so intertwined that well, left and state are now basically synonymous? I think they're now synonymous. The statism is leftism, first of all. Now, not all statism is leftism, but all leftism is statism. So uh, in that sense, I think the enemy is the state, but it's the left. It, it's a leftist state. Uh, that's the enemy. So the what about like leftist. a what about like a hippie commune that is, for all intents and purposes, anarchistic and completely separated from the state. Would you consider them not of the left? Would you consider them of the right? Uh, yeah, or... I wouldn't consider them of the current left at all. Okay. Uh, yeah, I would just consider that good, more power to them. I, I mean, I don't care what you do at all, really. And uh, But the more power to leftists, anarchists, uh, if they would call themselves leftists, hippies, dropouts of all sorts, I, I mean, I'm, they have my complete support. Um, completely shifting subjects. Where do you go for news or do you follow the news? Is it even worth it? Yeah, I read all over the place. So, I mean, I just, I just get it everywhere I can and take everything with a grain of salt. But, uh, uh, you know, I have to say the Epic times is a pretty good paper, um, oh, because okay. they're, they're opposed to the CCP, first of all, and China is the model for all this. So, uh, China, I think, is the model for the corporate socialist agenda that they're undertaking. I think basically the oligarchy looked at China and said, yeah, that's a good plan. Uh, they have they still have profit and they still have uh, but they have like, you know, this totalitarian control over the over the population. And I think that's the model uh, that that's the corporate socialist model in action already. So since the Epic Times is an enemy of the CCP, they're a friend of mine, and they basically are trying to uphold the principles of, you know, classical liberalism, I think. 
Wow, I uh, I had always just thought of the Epic Times as like a kooky conspiracy theory. Uh, oh no, paper. not at all. They're, so they're doing regular news. Cool. Called, that's good to I hear. I think that's been that's probably because uh, a lot of them are Falun Gong practitioners who fled China because Falun Gong was persecuted. The uh, Falun Gong practitioners have been persecuted in China. And if you believe the Falun Gong found, uh, followers, they've also harvested their organs. Uh, so, gotcha. um, yeah. So that's probably why it's been, and of course, Wikipedia will tell you that it's a kook site. And the New York Times will tell you that too, so. Yeah, and I, as, as red-pilled as I like to think of myself as, I am definitely, um, prone to falling for stuff like that. So it's, it's good yeah, to yeah, hear. That's... It's good to hear from somebody reputable that the Epic Times is reputable because I've always just kind of rolled my eyes at them. And a lot of it has to do with the ads that they run. The guy, the guy in those ads is kind of cheesy. Um, yeah, yeah, the ads might be cheesy. I, I, I agree with that, but the reporting's pretty good. That's cool. Uh, I'll, I'll link to them yeah. just so people can kind of get a taste for what it is. Um, just in case anybody has somehow escaped the ads on you YouTube. You know, the other <laughs> site I would say is going to, I'm going to say that I will go out on a limb here. And I think Infowars is actually a good site. And uh, they cover a lot of good stuff uh, in advance of other people. Uh, and it's not all kooky. Um, now, Alex Jones is out there, but uh, in many ways, he's been right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, and been, also he's a he he's he's a character. He's playing a character. Uh, character. Yeah. And he tells right. us that, like, he lets you know that. Right. When he's not on, he's, right. he's putting on an act. Right. It's an act. It's a publicity stunt, and he's a, he's a he's a card. He's an interesting guy. I mean, his Trumpism's over the top, but. Uh, they they pick up a lot of other stuff that's worthwhile reading. It's a good it's a good collection. Uh, what do you call it? A um, what do they call those sites that uh, gather a bunch of different sources? Um, like a aggregator. Aggregator, yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, I'll I'll link to the Epic Times. I'll probably not link to Infowars. <laughs> yeah, don't no, no, link canceled, to Infowars. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but but if you're listening, give him another shot. Because uh, you're right, Alex Jones used to be. I mean, you know, back in the Ron Paul days, uh, Jones was totally on our side. And I think, right. you know, I mean, he's fun to watch. I, I yeah, I had a relationship or like a budding relationship, and because I told the person that uh, I, you know, while I don't agree with Alex Jones on everything, I'm glad he exists. Um, yeah, exactly. The, they, they never talked to me again. So, <laughs> so it's, de it's definitely a, uh, it's definitely a hot button, but uh, yeah, give him a shot. Um, okay. What else? So uh, you've got this article um, fighting totalitarianism, Rothbard versus monasticism. And yeah. I think this is really cool. It strikes a balance between the complete separatism um, of some, I, I guess, agorist survivalists, maybe. Yeah. Um, like right. the, you know, Nicole Sauce, who, who uh, I love and who's been on the show, um, is a proponent of that sort of separatist mentality um, where she's got her community uh, and it works for her and that's great. She lives mm -hmm. out in the country. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, you know, I, I started this podcast. It was originally called the urban agorist podcast. Oh, okay. And, yeah. That's the idea that I like. Yeah, me too. Uh, I, I, I don't want to have to leave the city if I can, um, or mm -hmm. at the very least, uh, 
what, like, I, I don't have to want to have to drive two hours to get here. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, I think the idea is to be uh, in these cells that are resistant, uh, that are somehow clandestine or un undiscoverable through, you know, by the network, by by the infosphere, and and then still serve a function. They serve a function to for survival, for communications, for you know, biz, you know, interchange and all that. That that's that's the model that I was actually working under with the, um, with the thought, crim with thought criminal, but they tried to form a parallel uh, processing system, but found that it really wasn't possible and they were able to foil the collective mind and destroy it. So, or at least its function. Man, I can't wait to read this book. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I am. I have the. I have the Amazon thing up, so I'll buy it on Kindle and, and check it out. Uh, so I think that you should probably get involved with Freedom Cells because it sounds like it's right up your alley. They're everywhere. Are you? Have you fled New York? Or are you still there? Yeah, I'm in Pittsburgh. I fled Pittsburgh. New York. Oh, cool. Yeah. All right. Uh, a little bit less. A little bit less going on there, I guess. I think uh, yeah, it's less, uh, first of all, it's less desolation. You know, mm -hmm. New York is desolation row at this point. I can't believe uh, the photos that I'm seeing from New York. Yeah, it's a hellhole. So Pittsburgh seems to be resilient to a lot of things, a lot of pressures so far. Uh, and it doesn't feel dangerous in terms of, you know, woke oppression uh, on the streets and elsewhere. Yeah, the the people of Pittsburgh are um I wouldn't call them conservative, but they're uh, they're definitely they kind of march to their own their own drummer, I think. They're they're recalcitrant, you know. And this keeps them resistant to a lot of things. They don't even care about all, you know. So that I like. Right. Okay, great. Um Well, I think I'm about out of questions for you. Uh, yeah, do you, do you fine. have, it's cool. Um, it's been a great conversation. Do you have anything to plug other than the books? Uh, uh, well, just, I'd like to, you know, check out my website and look at these articles on the great reset. I've got six of them, I think up there now. Uh, and, uh, is that I just michaelrechtenwald.com? Like yeah. Michaelrechtenwald.com. Uh, I haven't gotten into, but now that you've pointed me towards freedom cells, I haven't gotten into solutions yet. You know, um, I'm still painting the picture. It's a pretty difficult, complex uh, agenda, uh, and the way that technology fits into it is a is a whole another conundrum. You know, yeah, uh, this fourth industrial revolution bit. Uh, so I haven't got to that part yet either. So yeah, those things and. Uh, yeah, the, the books and yeah, that's about it. Uh, and I do keep a collection of all my interviews up there and, uh, this will be up there after you post it and, uh, uh, communicate with me, contact me. All right. I'm interested in hearing from people. We will do that. And I'll, I'll link to your Twitter for what it's worth. Um, cause it, yeah, I mean, I'm still tweeting. I, I did yeah. get a thousand, uh, I got a thousand hits on a article about the lawsuit being filed against the, the coronavirus uh, lockdown uh, people, uh, the people responsible for that. That got a lot of hits, but uh, 
that doesn't do me any good. I mean, I don't know if that's going to, that particular lawsuit is going anywhere, but they also want to do a Nuremberg trial for the lockdowners, you know? Oh no. Because they said it's the biggest <laughs> crime against humanity. That's, that's ever. I mean, that'd be great. I, I'm curious who would run it uh, given that, you know, all of the, all of the people who would qualify yeah. to run a Nuremberg style thing would probably far part of or the people that should be on trial. <laughs> yeah. So cool. Well, I, my hope is that my hope is that we see a big backlash against the, the current state of things in the next year or two. Cause I hope so. you know, it happened, it happened after, after the Iraq war, um, which was yeah. the, last, the last big event of my lifetime anyway. Uh, so we'll see. Um, thanks again for joining me, Michael. Uh, my and, pleasure. Um, I hope that was worth it. Yeah, totally. It was a great conversation. Thanks. All right. Thanks again to Professor Michael Rechtenwald for joining me today. Of course, I will be sure to leave any pertinent links in the show notes. Thanks also to Juliet and BU Enterprises for sponsoring this episode. Head over to buenterprises.com to get in touch with them. And of course, if you haven't already, be sure that you're subscribed on Substack. Go to blackbird.substack.com to receive email updates for every episode of this show, along with any written content that I produce. And wherever you listen to this podcast, hit the subscribe button, leave ratings, reviews, thumbs up, that sort of thing. And be sure to share the show to help get the word out. Thanks again, and I will see you on the next episode of Blackbird. Until then, live free.